Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. The Everlasting Man by G.K. Chesterton Part 2 On the Man Called Christ Chapter 1 The God in the Cave Part 2 All this popular and fraternal element in the story has been rightly attached by tradition to the episode of the shepherds, the hymns who found themselves talking face to face with the princes of heaven. But there is another aspect of the popular element as represented by the shepherds, which has not, perhaps, been so fully developed, and which is more directly relevant here. Men of the people, like the shepherds, men of the popular tradition, had everywhere been the makers of the mythologies. It was they who had felt most directly, with least check or chill from philosophy or the corrupt cults of civilization, the need we have already considered, the images that were adventures of the imagination, the mythology that was a sort of search, the tempting and tantalizing hints of something half-human in nature, the dumb significance of seasons and special places. They had best understood that the soul of a landscape is a story, and the soul of a story is a personality. But rationalism had already begun to rot away these really irrational, though imaginative, treasures of the peasant, even as systematic slavery had eaten the peasant out of house and home. Upon all such peasantries everywhere, there was descending a dusk and twilight of disappointment in the hour when these few men discovered what they sought. Everywhere else, Arcadia was fading from the forest. Pan was dead, and the shepherds were scattered like sheep. And though no man knew it, the hour was near which was to end and to fulfill all things. And though no man heard it, there was one far-off cry in an unknown tongue upon the heaving wilderness of the mountains. The shepherds had found their shepherd, and the thing they found was of a kind with the things they sought. The populace had been wrong in many things, but they had not been wrong in believing that holy things could have a habitation, and that divinity need not disdain the limits of time and space. And the barbarian who conceived the crudest fancy about the sun being stolen and hidden in a box or the wildest myth about the god being rescued and his enemy deceived with a stone, was nearer to the secret of the cave, and knew more about the crisis of the world than all those in the circle of cities round the Mediterranean who had become content with cold abstractions or cosmopolitan generalizations, than all those who were spinning thinner and thinner threads of thought out of the transcendentalism of Plato or the Orientalism of Pythagoras. The place that the shepherds found was not an academy or an abstract republic. It was not a place of myths allegorized or dissected or explained or explained away. It was a place of dreams come true. Since that hour, no mythologies have been made in the world. Mythology is a search. We all know that the popular presentation of this popular story, in so many miracle plays and carols, 
has given to the shepherds the costumes, the language, and the landscape of the separate English and European countrysides. We all know that one shepherd will talk in a Somerset dialect, or another talk of driving his sheep from Conway towards Clyde. Most of us know by this time how true is that error, how wise, how artistic, how intensely Christian and Catholic is that anachronism. But some who have seen it in these scenes of medieval rusticity have perhaps not seen it in another sort of poetry, which it is sometimes the fashion to call artificial rather than artistic. I fear that many modern critics will see only a faded classicism in the fact that men like Crashaw and Herrick conceived the shepherds of Bethlehem under the form of the shepherds of Virgil. Yet they were profoundly right and in turning their Bethlehem play into a Latin eclogue, they took up one of the most important links in human history. Virgil, as we have already seen, does stand for all that saner heathenism that had overthrown the insane heathenism of human sacrifice. But the very fact that even the Virgilian virtues and the sane heathenism were in incurable decay is the whole problem to which the revelation to the shepherds is the solution. If the world had ever had the chance to grow weary of being demoniac, it might have been healed merely by becoming sane. But if it had grown weary even of being sane, what was to happen except what did happen? Nor is it false to conceive the Arcadian shepherd of the eclogues as rejoicing in what did happen. One of the eclogues has even been claimed as a prophecy of what did happen but it is quite as much in the tone and incidental diction of the great poet that we feel the potential sympathy with the great event. And even in their own human phrases, the voices of the Virgilian shepherds might more than once have broken upon more than the tenderness of Italy. Incipe, parve puer, risu cognasari matrum. Begin, little boy, to recognize your mother with a smile. They might have found in that strange place all that was best in the last traditions of the Latins, and something better than a wooden idol standing up forever for the pillar of the human family, a household god. But they and all the other mythologists would be justified in rejoicings that the event had fulfilled not merely the mysticism, but the materialism of mythology. Mythology had many sins. But it had not been wrong in being as carnal as the Incarnation. But something of the ancient voice that was supposed to have rung through the graves, it could cry again, We have seen, he hath seen us, a visible God. So the ancient shepherds might have danced, and their feet have been beautiful upon the mountains, rejoicing over the philosophers. But the philosophers had also heard. It is still a strange story though an old one, how they came out of Orient lands, crowned with the majesty of kings, and clothed with something of the mystery of magicians. That truth that is tradition has wisely remembered them almost as unknown quantities, as mysterious as their mysterious and melodious names, Melchior, Caspar, Balthazar. But there came with them all that world of wisdom that had watched the stars in Chaldea, and the sun in Persia. And we shall not be wrong if we see in them the same curiosity that moves all the sages. 
they would stand for the same human ideal if their names had really been Confucius, or Pythagoras, or Plato. They were those who sought not tales, but the truth of things. And since their thirst for truth was itself a thirst for God, they also have had their reward. But even in order to understand that reward, we must understand that for philosophy, as much as mythology, that reward was the completion of the incomplete. Such learned men would doubtless have come, as these learned men did come, to find themselves confirmed in much that was true in their own traditions and right in their own reasoning. Confucius would have found a new foundation for the family, in the very reversal of the holy family. Buddha would have looked upon a new renunciation, of stars rather than jewels, and divinity than royalty. These learned men would still have the right to say, or rather, a new right to say, that there was truth in their old teaching. But after all, these learned men would have come to learn. They would have come to complete their conceptions with something they had not yet conceived, even to balance their imperfect universe with something they might once have contradicted. Buddha would have come from his impersonal paradise to worship a person. Confucius would have come from his temple of ancestor worship to worship a child. We must grasp from the first this character in the new cosmos that it was larger than the old cosmos. In that sense, Christendom is larger than creation, as creation had been before Christ. It included things that had not been there. It also included the things that had been there. The point happens to be well illustrated in this example of Chinese piety, but it would be true of other pagan virtues or pagan beliefs. Nobody can doubt that a reasonable respect for parents is part of a gospel in which God himself was subject in childhood to earthly parents. But the other sense in which the parents were subject to him does introduce an idea that is not Confucian. The infant Christ is not like the infant Confucius. Our mysticism conceives him in an immortal infancy. I do not know what Confucius would have done with the Bambino had it come to life in his arms, as it did in the arms of St. Francis. But this is true in relation to all the other religions and philosophies. It is the challenge of the Church. The Church contains what the world does not contain. Life itself does not provide as she does for all sides of life. That every other single system is narrow and insufficient compared to this one. That is not a rhetorical boast. It is a real fact and a real dilemma. Where is the holy child amid the Stoics and the ancestor worshippers? Where is Our Lady of the Moslems, a woman made for no man and set above all angels? Where is Saint Michael of the monks of Buddha, rider and master of the trumpets, guarding for every soldier the honor of the sword? What could St. Thomas Aquinas do with the mythology of Brahmanism, he who set forth all the science and rationality, and even rationalism, of Christianity? Yet even if we compare Aquinas with Aristotle, at the other extreme of reason, we shall find the same sense of something added. Aquinas could understand the most logical parts of Aristotle. It is doubtful if Aristotle could have understood the most mystical parts of Aquinas. 
even where we can hardly call the Christian greater. We are forced to call him larger. But it is so to whatever philosophy or heresy or modern movement we may turn. How would Francis the Troubadour have fared among the Calvinists, or for that matter, among the utilitarians of the Manchester School? Yet men like Bossuet and Pascal could be as stern and logical as any Calvinist or utilitarian. How would St. Joan of Arc, a woman waving on men to war with the sword, have fared among the Quakers, or the Dukabors, or the Tolstoyan sect of pacifists? Yet any number of Catholic saints have spent their lives in preaching peace and preventing wars. It is the same with all the modern attempts at syncretism. They are never able to make something larger than the creed without leaving something out. I do not mean leaving out something divine, but something human. The flag, or the inn, or the boy's tale of battle, or the hedge at the end of the field. The theosophists build a pantheon, but it is only a pantheon for pantheists. They call a parliament of religions as a reunion of all the peoples, but it is only a reunion of all the prigs. Yet exactly such a pantheon had been set up 2,000 years before by the shores of the Mediterranean, and Christians were invited to set up the image of Jesus side by side with the image of Jupiter, of Mithras, of Osiris, of Attis, or of Ammon. It was the refusal of the Christians that was the turning point of history. If the Christians had accepted, they and the whole world would have certainly, in a grotesque but exact metaphor, gone to pot. They would all have been boiled down to one lukewarm liquid in that great pot of cosmopolitan corruption in which all the other myths and mysteries were already melting. It was an awful and an appalling escape. Nobody understands the nature of the church or the ringing note of the creed descending from antiquity who does not realize that the whole world once very nearly died of broad-mindedness and the brotherhood of all religions. Here it is the important point that the Magi, who stand for mysticism and philosophy, are truly conceived as seeking something new, and even as finding something unexpected. That tense sense of crisis, which still tingles in the Christmas story, and even in every Christmas celebration, accentuates the idea of a search and a discovery. The discovery is, in this case, truly a scientific discovery, for the other mystical figures in the miracle play, for the angel and the mother, the shepherds and the soldiers of Herod. There may be aspects both simpler and more supernatural, more elemental or more emotional. But the wise men must be seeking wisdom, and for them there must be a light also in the intellect, and this is the light that the Catholic creed is Catholic, and that nothing else is Catholic. The philosophy of the Church is universal. The philosophy of the philosophers was not universal. Had Plato and Pythagoras and Aristotle stood for an instant in the light that came out of that little cave, they would have known that their own light was not universal. It is far from certain, indeed, that they did not know it already. Philosophy also, like mythology, had very much the air of a search. It is the realization of this truth that gives its traditional majesty and mystery to the figures of the three kings. 
the discovery that religion is broader than philosophy, and that this is the broadest of religions, contained within this narrow space. The magicians were gazing at the strange pentacle, with the human triangle reversed, and they have never come to the end of their calculations about it. For it is the paradox of that group in the cave, that while our emotions about it are of childish simplicity, our thoughts about it can branch with a never-ending complexity, and we can never reach the end even of our own ideas about the child who was a father and the mother who was a child. We might well be content to say that mythology had come with the shepherds and philosophy with the philosophers, and that it only remained for them to combine in the recognition of religion. But there was a third element that must not be ignored, and one which that religion forever refuses to ignore, in any revel or reconciliation. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, t'will be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right. <laughs>